0: Go with me in your Bibles. We're going to Galatians chapter 3. Last Sunday sermon, if you have not, if you weren't here, if you have not listened to it yet online, a fantastic message on a clarification of justification. Jamie did a great job. And it ended with the last verse of chapter 2, that if, there, if our righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose it's pointless if we add something to our salvation jesus plus anything we pervert the gospel we dilute the gospel we change the gospel baptism communion confirmation giving Abstaining from certain foods, celebrating certain holidays, not celebrating other holidays. All of these lists, if we add anything to the gospel, we change the very message of the gospel. Chapter 2 ends Paul's personal defense of the gospel. Chapters 3 and 4, Paul moves into what some commentators describe as, as a mountain climbing. You ever climbed a mountain I've climbed hills. I remember when when I was in Denver, I went out for a youth conference, a youth ministry conference, and I took my video camera and I climbed to the top of a ski hill. Maybe it wasn't even the top. And then I was videoing, you know, doing a video, talking to the youth group that I would send back to them. And then I remember listening back to the video and I'm, and I'm out of breath. I'm tanked. I'm like, wow, I am out of shape. In this Galatians chapter three, there's three mountaintops that we're going to climb. Today is the covenant with Abraham. Then we see the covenant with Moses, the law given with Moses and then Christ. This is a monumental chapter, Galatians chapter three. Have you ever taken a wrong turn? I was talking with our new neighbor yesterday and she said when her son was taking driver's training. We were talking about that. She said he uh, was taking his girlfriend or his date to a, something in Port Huron. Maybe it was a prom or something, going to eat. And this was a while ago. This was before cell phones. And he, the phone rang, and he said, Mom, I'm in Mount Clemens. Where is Port Huron? He took a wrong turn out of Richmond. He was headed, he was headed you know, southwest instead of northeast. Yeah, I know. My my wife has taken a wrong turn out of the airport and calls me from Jackson. Look, like, what are you doing in Jackson? She's like, i like, you went the wrong way. She's like, well, it was really beautiful over here. I'm like, you should have been home a long time ago. What are you doing? Taking a wrong turn. These Galatians, this is what is happening. They've taken a wrong turn. In came the Judaizers. In came the people that you need a little more to your message. Paul doesn't have all the authority. Have you seen this in the Old Testament, Gentiles? Have you seen this? You do don't, you don't know about that? You don't know about the other? Oh, you need us to fill you in. You can't eat that. You've got to look like this. You have to do all of these different things that they begin introducing it's all summed up in the word circumcision. It's the, the whole kit and caboodle of Judaism that they were introducing to these Gentiles who had come to faith in Christ. So Paul is opening chapter three and he's basically saying, what are you thinking? What's wrong with your thinking? And that reminds me of a time when Sophie was just, a, just an infant and we had stopped and... Emma bit her finger. All of a sudden, Sophie's crying, like screaming out. I'm like, what is this scream? And it was Emma. Emma had Emma bitten her on the, on the finger. And we're outside of a Dairy Queen. I was like, we were going to go to Dairy Queen. We're not going to Dairy Queen. We're going home. And so we go home to center line and we get there, and Ginger goes in to handle the discipline and takes with her a wooden spoon. Only problem this wooden spoon was the salad-stirring spoons, one was the fork, one was the spoon, they had chickens on them, or roosters or something, so Emma's talking to four-year-old, you know, Ginger's talking to her, you know, like, listen, that was wrong, you were, you know, this, that, why, what were you thinking? And Emma was thinking, all right, she said, whoa, a little badness came down around my, you know, that's the first description, and came out my mouth, and what were you thinking I'm thinking, I hope that chicken comes to life and pecks you on the hand so you can't spank me. <laughs> and with that, the whole serious discipline session kind of came to a, a horrible demise, and Ginger just came out, and we were laughing. And that was over. She won that round. It was over. What were you thinking? I know my dad has asked me of that. What were you thinking, doing this, driving there? What's the matter with you? Surely you are not my son to be thinking like that. Maybe you remember your parents asking you, What were you thinking? I wasn't. I wasn't thinking properly. What we told you, I know, I know now. This is Paul to the Galatians. You can hear the heart of a father saying, What are you doing? What's wrong with you? This is a letter that would have been written or read in the churches in the hearing. I want to talk about grace based relationships this morning and how those can contrast with works-based relationships, law-based relationships. A grace-based relationship, this is what God does for us in Christ. At the very moment of conversion, at the starting line of faith, he gives you all the promises, all the blessings, all the grace, all of the Holy Spirit, all the promise of heaven, joint heir with Christ. It's all given sonship at the starting line. A works-based, law-based relationship is so we're in a relationship and we'll see how you perform if I continue giving you my friendship or not. The rewards are at the maybe, at the finish line. If you avoid these things, if you don't do this, if you don't think that, if you don't, then maybe at the end there will be a reward for you. Grace-based relationships, they mirror God's grace to us. And in grace based relationships, we can disagree with one another and we'll work it out because we're in a relationship. And it's not, we're holding it out. And if you perform to my level, I'll continue being your friend, I'll continue being in fellowship with you in worship. Rather than, we are in relationship. All of God's grace has been given so we can freely give and walk on and work it out and grow in grace and grow in love and grow in forgiveness and in mercy. I wonder what describes your relationships. Are your relationships described by grace? You freely give because it's freely been given to you? Or is it parsed out in law? Well, you know, you didn't. Well, you know, you're that. Well, you forgot. And I parse out, that's not of God. And if our relationship with God isn't where it should be, it will affect and infect all of our other relationships. And we'll be wanting from other people what we can only get from God. And other people make bad gods. They can't always be with you. Always know what you're thinking. Always know what you're feeling. Love you to the bottom and love you to the top. You'll crush the people around you. But grace-based relationships, which is Paul to the Galatians, he loves them. This is the heart of the gospel. I will tell you, I brought law-based relationships into our marriage. Works-based relationship. Newly married, into ministry. All of these expectations that I thought and people's expectations, which are you can't even fill everybody's expectations. You can't please everybody. I don't know if you knew this or not, but I tried. I tried that route. Oh, I need to have, my wife should be like this and this is what ministry should look like and this is how it should be and everybody weighing in until God delivered us from that and has been delivering us from that in various seasons of our life for the last 20 years of our 24 years of marriage. The Galatians, they were blind pagans. Paul came preaching the gospel. And what the Judaizers are doing is they're walking into their assemblies and they're pulling out blindfolds. They're saying, here... You just need to have this, and they're blinding them again in the ways of works-based false righteousness, self-righteousness. They're duping them. So Paul is writing to them as straightforward as you can get. A most bold, some would have probably said, hey, that wasn't really nice, and aren't pastors always supposed to be nice? Nice. Paul is fighting as a father for his children. And some of you know what it is to have a child who is straying or erring from the faith. And what is it that you won't do to see them come to know, love, and follow Jesus? That's Paul to the Galatians. It's all underpinned by grace and by love. In Christ, we're set free we're set free to do what we ought to do. It becomes what we want to do because God changes our heart. Follow along with me, if you will. Galatians chapter 3. Don't forget, this was read when the church is gathered. And Paul begins chapter 3 with, oh, foolish Galatians. Okay? Dear idiots... You ignorant people. No, that isn't. I don't think he should have said that. Guess what? You're not Paul, and you aren't God. He said it, and he meant it. What is he trying to do? Wake up. Come to your senses. Get alert. You're being lulled to sleep. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Some commentators say, well, He doesn't really mean witchcraft. He doesn't really mean... yeah. here's Here's the reality, beloved. Your message of salvation is either from heaven or it's from somewhere else. You have one other option. If it doesn't provide life that never ends in Christ, it's from somewhere else and someone else that hates Christ. So when he says, who has bewitched you, he means it. You're acting like you're under a trance. So he writes. And he asks questions. I'm not good at this. When somebody needs an answer, my default mode is give an answer instead of ask questions. The most effective way of teaching is what Paul does here, it's what Jesus did. And that is, he asks very poignant questions to get to the heart of the people that he loves. And he can't stand the Judaizers. Because they come in like the religious superstars and pretending to be better than everybody else. They're dragging people away with their lists of do's and don'ts and their clipboards and their buttons and their pins and their bumper stickers. Paul sees through it all. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What does he say? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Each of these are rhetorical questions. They would have answered them. It was by hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? It says it again in case they missed it the first round. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. This is the word of the Lord. This morning as we unpack this, Paul is moving into a strong defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's appealing to the brethren to stand in grace. He asks these important questions. If we are going to stand firm together in grace, then we must defend the gospel of grace. How do we do this? There's really two main themes that we see this morning. Number one, Paul says, examine your experience. Examine your experience. Now, our experience is not the first place we go when sharing the gospel. Nevertheless, do you remember how you came to faith in Christ? Your experience of coming to know, love, and follow Jesus. That, how can someone tell you that's not true? If someone brought you the gospel, they preached to you the truth, and you turn from your sin and you trusted in Christ, who can look at you and say, no, that didn't happen? You've heard it described this way, and I had one of these heaters in my room. I nearly burned down our house in Montana with it. It, had, it looked like a football helmet. It always fascinated me, these old switches on it, probably a General Electric. had two heater bars, and you could switch low. That was one heater bar. High, two heater bars. And in the winter sometime, I took that, that heater and I tucked it between my, the wall and my bed and I put the bedspread, you know, because this is smart. What were you thinking? Exactly. And I put the heater under my bedspread so the heat, because it goes up, you know, it go up to my feet because my feet were cold. And my mom, the Lord woke her up and she came in. Do you know how long she kept that orange bedspread? She probably still has it with the burnt spot on it. That was before all the fire retardant, everything, you know, in the house and in your pajamas and in all that. How I'm still alive and didn't just go up in smoke. What were you thinking? I'm sure my dad asked me that. Uh, I don't know. Let me tell you something. You can have every lecture about how hot that heater bar is. And you can have all the knowledge about it. But let a kid touch that heater bar and experience it. And no matter how many lectures you ever give them, they'll probably never touch that heater bar again. You could have it off, unplugged. They probably aren't going to touch it because they've experienced it. When Paul talks about an experience, he's talking about your experience, Galatians. These people are coming in and they're, they're selling you a false message. And let's go back to your experience. Have you experienced the cross of Christ? He pulls them onto the witness stand. Have you experienced the cross of Christ? You cannot have Christianity apart from the cross of Christ. Paul was concerned for these Galatian churches. They were acting in a foolish manner. They were being senseless. The Judaizers were using words. They were using customs. They were using teachings that absolutely bewitched the Gentile converts. It's kind of like a snake, a serpent moving in, and there's a mouse, and the mouse sees the serpent coming, and the mouse is like frozen in fear, shaking, and that serpent just moves in, and those beady eyes have it locked in a gaze, and the mouse can't get away, can't run, it's frozen, and the serpent comes in for dinner. This is what Paul is trying to wake them up. You're in a daze. What's wrong with you? You know better than this, and they're bringing in, but have you read this? But do you know this? But wait, there's more, like an infomercial. That's not all. You need this. Oh, I don't have that. Oh, and I'll take that. Oh, and then there's this, and then there's the other, and then there's the, hang on, get the briefcase, bring in the van, bring in the truck. But it just started with what sounded so innocent, What's the matter with you? Have you forgotten the cross of Christ? Have you experienced the cross of Christ? So Paul takes them back to what our singing took us back to this morning. The cross. The wonderful cross. Paul reminded them of how boldly the message of the cross was brought to them. Go with me in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians. Just back to the left. 1 Corinthians Paul describes how he ministered the gospel of grace everywhere he went. And he writes about it to the Corinthians. Same thing he did for the Galatians. In 1 Corinthians 1, we studied this a few years ago, in verse 18, okay, when you gather in small groups, one of the questions that you're gonna be, and I'm encouraging you, Some of you are still not prioritizing being in community together. We are a church of small groups. We are not a church that just has small groups. This is where ministry happens, is in these groups. And you're gonna need this. What is the message of the cross? What is the word of the cross? Paul explains, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. Those who don't know Christ. So when someone mocks, the cross. Jesus died. They are someone who is perishing. They are someone who does not know Christ. They don't understand the gospel. They haven't been arrested by the gospel because they're taking something so so simple that children can understand it, and they're just belittling it. But to us who are being saved this simple straightforward message of the gospel god created you in his own image to know him and to enjoy him. But our sin separated us from him. How are we going to be reunited? Well, it's not by doing good deeds because sins cannot be repaid by doing good deeds. So paying the price for my sin, for your sin, Jesus Christ came and he was born of a virgin and he lived the life that you and I can never live. And he went to the cross and he willingly laid down his life and was crucified, buried and rose again the third day He defeated death, hell, and the grave so that everyone who trusts in him alone is given life that never ends. And Paul is saying, everywhere I went, that was message number one, message number Z, message all of it. That's what he's saying. For it is written, 1 Corinthians 1, 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God, through wisdom it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Look at chapter 2 verse 1, and when I came to you, he's talking to the Corinthians, the brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He didn't come in juggling chainsaws, fire, you know, massive, like, woo, come check it out. He said, I came and I portrayed Christ and him crucified, buried and resurrected. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, verse three, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Oh, that we can get to the place where we understand when someone proclaiming the word of God can be honest that in our weakness and in our trembling, small group leaders, in your weakness and in your fear and in your trembling, how can the Lord use me? That's That's who he does use. I'm amazing. I'm the best. I'm awesome. No, sit down. I have nothing, no power, no might, no wisdom, no strength. I have Jesus. Okay, you have all you need. The Holy Spirit lives in me and I have his word and his people. You have all you need. He will sustain you. My speech, verse four, my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that, here's the purpose, Corinthians, Galatians, people of grace so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God where is your faith resting wisdom of men or the power of God Paul said when I came to Galatia I placarded publicly portrayed Christ as crucified Galatians 3 verse 1 we get the word for billboard, placarded. All right, it's somebody uh, that used to wear a sandwich board. You know, come inside. You know, store closing. Hurry, fifty percent off, seventy five percent off. Okay, you don't want that guy behind the sign. You want him with the sign out where everybody can see. Get in there. Good deals. Paul said, When I came, and it's wherever he went, he went with a billboard of crucified Jesus of Nazareth. The Jewish son of a carpenter was crucified, buried, and rose again. That's not my last message. That's my first message. People of God, we need to learn from this. Oh, he was kind. And he was gracious, but he got to the heart of the message, and it's the gospel. I placarded this. I didn't hide it. I put it up for everybody to see. And you responded. It's the message of the cross. And this message sinks down into our hearts, and it changes us from the inside out. Can I ask you this morning, do you remember when you heard this message and it bore fruit of repentance in your life? Do you remember where you were when you, I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. I I knew about heaven, but I had no confidence that I I would be there one day. And then you heard the gospel and everything changed and your eyes opened. And what you used to have no time for now is a priority in your life. And now he's given you a people, a family, and you belong to one another and you love one another. Why? Because he's loved us first. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. He died for me. Has that message sunk down? Have you experienced the cross of Christ? That question wasn't just to the Galatians. That question is to you this morning. Have you experienced the cross of Christ? Another question that Paul asked them about their experience have you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit? And he says, Did this happen by something you did? Or was it by faith? What did you do to receive the Holy Spirit? Because some of you may have come from a background or you have families that are in background and they're in environments, churches where they're taught, you have to do these things to get more of the Holy Spirit. And they live feeling like, I'm, I'm not like them and I'm not having that and I'm not experiencing it that way. Is there something wrong with me? How did you receive the Holy Spirit? You receive the Spirit by faith at salvation. That was for new life. Did that happen by something you did or by something God did? What's the answer to that? God. He's he's bringing them to a point of, well, that was God. We were pagans serving false deities that we had to move around. They were dead. They were nothings. And then we heard the gospel and he gave us the Holy Spirit and our lives changed. Our eyes were opened. There were supernatural signs and there were wonders that happened as the gospel came to the Galatian communities and you can see that in Acts chapter 14 and Paul would be saying, how did that happen? By something you did or something God and his spirit did? And they would say, it was his spirit. It was by faith. And you receive the spirit for your sanctification. It's not just for new life and now I'm done with the gospel. It's for all of life that we grow in grace in the gospel. Well, how did that happen? Was that by something you did, or was that by faith? And the answer is by faith. So your spiritual life, Galatians, it began by faith, but now, how are you being conned into thinking that this work will be finished, perfected, completed by something you do? This is getting at the heart. Why, why are you here this morning? Out of fear of God, well, I'm afraid he will be mad if I don't go to church. Well, I'm trying to earn his favor, and I think it's a pretty good thing on my resume. One more Sunday in church. I could have been there, could have been there, but I came to church, Lord, huh? It's even raining. Or is it by faith? Those are the three words that describe everybody going through religious whatever they're doing today around this planet. Fear of God. There will be storms if we don't give to him. That's even led to human sacrifice. Fear of the deities. Fear of the the God over the seas and all these things. Favor. Try to earn his favor. Look on me and think I'm okay and give me a thumbs up. Or faith. Faith in the son of God who loved Me and gave himself for me. The Spirit of God was given to you for your sanctification. Okay, so how does this work practically? We think about areas in our lives. We think about struggles that we each face, and we're all facing different struggles, right? So let's apply this to bitterness. If I think about, well, that person has done to me and how th- what they've said about me and, and I think about that and the more I think about that and the more I dwell on that it's a downward spiral. So what good does the gospel do when we're in a downward spiral of woe is me? You move over to, okay, so they have said things maybe about me that are not true. How do I stand up? How do I defend against bitterness? Okay, God, what have I done against you? I, I've, I've lied against you. I've misrepresented you. I'm an image that you've created. I bear your image and I've not been truthful in. How have you responded to me? You've shown me mercy. You didn't cast me into hell. You sent your son and you forgave me. So the more I preach the gospel to my heart, it displaces the bitterness and it takes any wrongdoing and it actually commits it to, to the Lord who handles the judgment. And he will handle the judgment. It's not dismissing what's been done wrong to you. It's putting it in the hands of the righteous judge who cares about all that has been done to you and all that you and I have done to to, to others. That's why Jesus had to die. If Jesus was merely an example for us, it crushes us you mean I'm supposed to go hang on a cross outside the city? I can't do that, exactly. You mean I'm supposed to perfectly obey the law? I can't do that, exactly. Jesus did. We need a Savior. Tim Keller says it this way, the Spirit works as you apply the gospel to every area of your life. And I want to encourage you in this, this week, whatever your struggle is, preach the gospel to your heart. It's taking your attention and moving it away from what's wrong and what I, I'm not satisfied or what this is wrong or that's wrong and move to the gospel and preach the gospel again to your heart every moment of the day that God knows me fully and he loves me. He sent Christ. The third question that Paul says is, let's, let's talk about your experience, the pain of gospel suffering. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? You see, the Galatian believers, the church there, they suffered because of the message of the cross. It wasn't because they went out robbing and beating people, and they got thrown in jail, were suffering for Jesus. It was the message of Jesus Christ is the only way to be forgiven. All of these idols are false. They won't do anything for you you need to turn and trust in Jesus. And they were persecuted and they were ostracized and they were cut out of their families and and they were persecuted. They suffered. A lot of times it was the hand of the, the Jews in those remote areas that would come and they would hear first things. Ooh, that sounds, we know that. Old Testament, we know that. And it's Jesus. And there they would say, check please. And they would turn violent against followers of Christ. The only reason for their suffering was the gospel. So Paul is saying, Why did you suffer? It was for the sake of the gospel. Well, why did you suffer for the sake of the gospel? Because we have faith in Christ. And you suffered, why? Why did you suffer? Why did you carry on in the suffering through all that persecution? Listen, some of our church family, they know what it is to go through that pain. And notice, it's not just the pain of suffering. It's the pain of gospel suffering. Everybody suffers. Everybody suffers, you know? None of us make it out alive. That's how bad life is, right? None of us make it out alive. Death will win, but not really for the Christian. But the gospel, and people say, you know, can you stop talking to me about that? I don't want to hear about that. If you keep talking to me about Jesus and him being the only way, and I can't just do whatever I want to do and believe whatever I want to to believe, then we're not going to have anything in common anymore. This is gospel suffering. Have you experienced this? And then he brings them to the love of the Father. Have you experienced the love of the Father? Have you experienced the cross of Christ? Have you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit for your salvation and sanctification? Have you experienced the pain of gospel suffering? And Galatians, have you experienced, have you not experienced the love of the Father poured out in Christ? Verse five, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And they would have said, it's not by anything we did. It's by what he has done. Beloved, the triune God is actively involved in the salvation of sinners. A song, we, we've sung it, our kids have sung it, he knows my name, right? I have a Father. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. That's not very warm and comforting. When a kid sings it, it is. When we sing it, he knows my every thought. And he loves me. That's the gospel. He knows me and he loves me and his love isn't contingent, and he's not going to pull it back, and he's not going to cut me off because I am in Christ. Do you know the love of the Father? Have you experienced the love of the Father? This is what Paul is appealing to these Galatians about. Remember the righteous Father. Our definition for religious legalism When we work in our own power according to our own rules or traditions, ultimately to earn God's favor. From David Platt and Tony Merida. So many people, they've got their thing, and I do this, and I I don't eat those things, and I don't go there, and I'm not like them. Have you experienced the cross of Christ this morning? Have you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you experienced the pain of gospel suffering? Have you experienced the love of the Father? Do you know in this room is just the same as in Galatia and in those churches, there would be people in the room who would say, no, no, I haven't. I know about it. I've heard about it. I see other people. And when they're worshiping, I'm wondering, what are they doing? Why are they so moved? Why do they, you know? then the invitation is this. Come. Come experience for yourself Christ. As we look to the second, Paul dismisses the Galatians. You can step off the witness stand. He says, but I call the next witness, Father Abraham, get on the stand. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the Jewish people. Let's go all the way back to this man named Abram, and let's examine the evidence in verses six through nine. Abraham, the man of faith. Oh, and all the Judaizers would have been, oh, Abraham, come on, let's sing. Father Abraham, right, had many sons. And that song never ends, right? Right arm, left arm, just goes on and on forever. Abraham was the man of faith. The Judaizers would have been like, oh, now he's getting to a good point here. And Paul would have been like, oh, yeah. You just get ready. Get your pens out. Get your clipboards out. Get ready. Because we're going to ask you to stop being foolish in your thinking, senseless, and come to your senses and think about how a person is saved. Has somebody ask you that before? How were they saved in the Old Testament? Oh, I know. They kept the law, right? Wrong. You can't keep the law. We all fail. We all fall short. So that's not a viable answer. They needed something and someone better than themselves. They needed a deliverer. Abraham was the man of faith. He believed God. And it was counted, that's, in a, that's an accounting term, logizomai, it's to put to one's account. So, re, it was a while ago, I was using my bill pay through the bank online, sending a payment to a medical, and now the medical bills come from like doctor, and then this office and that office, for one procedure you get bills from like 17 different places. You know what I'm talking about? I had the wrong account for one of the hospitals, and I was sending my money, and my bill kept coming, same thing. I'm like, I paid that. So I had to get to the person on the phone that could find that here's my money put to an account that was an old account, no longer applied, and it's just sitting out there in account limbo. We got to take it out of account limbo, and we got to credit it to your account so that your numbers and your debt will go down. That's the word. Nothing Abraham could do would be credit to his account because everything he touched was, he's a sinner, So when he had faith, he believed God, then it was credited to his account. The righteousness of Christ was credited to his account account, and he obeyed, demonstrated that he was a man of faith. Romans chapter four, we don't have time to go there, but Romans chapter four is an extensive treatment. Paul treats this, this whole argument of Abraham's faith. How do we become right with God? How are we clean before God? So on your side of your notes, you see a timeline. This is what Paul is doing. It's going to come up on the uh, screen here. Okay, so it starts with Abram. Okay, he's a Gentile. Abram is a Gentile, pagan, worshiping false gods. God comes to him, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, a covenant is given to him. And he is going to give a promise that in your seed, I will bless all peoples. Come the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers, they go down to Egypt. They're in Egypt for 400 years. They're in slavery. Moses comes and he delivers. Tried it on his own, failed. God sends him to the school in the wilderness for 40 years, sends him back. He comes back and he tells Pharaoh, let my people go. He delivers them out of the land. They get to the Red Sea, through the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is drowned in the Red Sea. They get on the other side. They go to Mount Sinai. Here's where we finally get the law. The law is given to Moses. Oh, so now the people can obey. Yeah, you remember what happened to the first tablets? In anger, Moses broke them over the rebellious people who already got a golden calf party going on down there. You miserable, you foolish Israelites. Oh, I thought that was a boomerang. He goes back up, he meets with God, and he writes those tablets and brings them down. And then they're in the wilderness, How did the law help them? They all died in the wilderness. Not even Moses made it into the promised land, but they had the law and they had circumcision. And it didn't help them. Well, then they get in the promised land, and then we have the period of the judges. And what does the judges say? It just went a downward spiral. It went from bad to worse down to Deplorable! Give us a king, they said. You go into the period of the kings, and there's a united monarchy, and there's Saul, and there's David and his son Solomon, and then there's a divided monarchy, and there's a split. And then the northern ten tribes, they're hauled off into Assyria. They're put into exile because they're so rebellious. And God, through the prophets, is telling all of his tribes, they're in Jerusalem. You think you're better than them? You're worse than them. You're right next to my temple, the beautiful temple, and you're worshiping, but your hearts are far from me, and you're going to follow your sister into judgment. And they did. And the whole thing was wiped. All of the division was wiped out. Then they're brought back, and they rebuild the temple, and all of the division that happened before is now gone, and they're one people. But there are people that the glory of God never refills that temple and they're waiting and then Rome conquers and they're subjugated to Rome and they're waiting for a deliverer and they're waiting for a deliverer and they're waiting for a Messiah and when will be our own people and then comes Jesus and Jesus he's our leader it's Messiah Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord our victory is just around the corner and now he's on a cross and now he's in a tomb but did you hear Easter morning, he's not in the tomb anymore. He beat death. He was sinless. He did what we can't do. He upheld the law. He fulfilled the law. Abraham didn't fulfill his own covenant. Jesus did. He's the seed of Abraham, and from Jesus comes through the apostles, the church, and the church is comprised of Jews and Gentiles, and God is building a people. Now understand, do you see what? Here we find Galatians. It's in the church. Do you see what Paul is doing in the presence of the churches? He's asking them this question. How was Abraham justified? Circumcision, eh, wrong answer, because he was saved by faith before the covenant of circumcision came. Keeping the law, eh, that didn't come till Sinai. Abraham was a Gentile, and he was justified by what answer? Faith. Gentiles in Galatia heard the gospel of Jesus that all of these individuals look forward to in all of this time waiting on Messiah the Deliverer. The gospel went out into all those regions. How did the Gentiles come to faith and how were they justified in God's sight? By faith. Do you see what Paul is doing now? You're asking these Gentiles out here in Galatia to do what he didn't even do? You liars. And Paul is saying, I was a persecutor of Jesus and I was doing it better than anybody and I was a failure and I was a sinner. And if Jesus had not rescued me on the road to Damascus, I'd still be on the road to hell. And he saved me. He rescued me. And that's who has father Abraham as a spiritual father that he's making one people from all tribes and all nations because we belong by faith to Abraham and to Abraham's God, Jesus. This is so rich and this is so good. It's not just Abraham. They're sons of Abraham They're sons of Abraham. The Bible says that the scriptures were preached to Abraham. The gospel in you, all the nations will be blessed. That's Genesis 12. That's Genesis 15. So then those who are of faith, now that's my question this morning, and I'm not leaving there quickly. Does that describe you? Are you a son of Abraham? Are you part of the family of Abraham? The sons of Abraham, the family of faith, are you part of this family? You see, God is the one who takes sinners and makes them sons. So this Saul of Tarsus, a Jew of Jews, would come to faith in Christ and be put in this family spiritually. Spiritually. So that Titus, the Greek, would hear the gospel, turn from his sin, trust in Jesus, and Paul would say, you don't have to take on all of the tradition that I was raised with. It was all pointing to Jesus, and he came, and he is all you need. Amen? It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And everywhere Paul went, he wasn't all about Paul. He was all about Jesus. Even John the Baptist. Hey, John, you're losing all your disciples to Jesus. You know that? Hey. That's all right. He must increase, I must decrease. Up with Jesus, down with me. I wonder if that's your heart. This is the gospel. The law says do, is John Phillips. Grace says done. The law says try. Grace says trust. The law says behave. Grace says believe. The law points to the commandments. Grace points to the Christ. The weakness of the law is the flesh. The wonder of grace is the Holy Spirit. That is so rich. God pours out his grace freely by his Spirit on the basis of the death of his Son. The moment a sinner is converted to Christ, this relationship with the Father is reconciled, and there's peace with God. God and it is all based upon his grace, not upon our works. So as a pastor, as your shepherd and under-shepherd, my concern is that you are not ever bewitched. That the YouTube latest person teaching something doesn't bewitch you. That the person at work at the water cooler or wherever, and you hear something and you're like, ooh, and it sounds fascinating, you will be equipped with this book of Galatians, So let's ask three questions. As we close, three questions, and that is how does someone become a member of this family? How does a person belong to this family? The first question is this, is it by faith or is it by works? What's the answer? It's by faith. And then James would write, These, this faith will produce works. But look at what James would write. For the person who says, oh, yes, I believe in faith, but you also need to have this in your diet and that out of your diet. I believe in faith, but you need to keep the Sabbath. I believe, yes, it is by faith, but you also need to be baptized. I believe it is by faith, but you also need to speak in tongues. I believe it is in faith, but you must have communion. To add anything to it, James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in how much? Just one, just one. One lust, one one curse, one covet, one, just one. And you are guilty of breaking the whole law. It crushes you. It crushes me. The picture of James 2.10 is the huge massive pane of glass and you take a, a hammer and you just smash the bottom corner. Well, I just broke the bottom corner. You just broke the whole thing, shattered. That's the language here. So if you're thinking, I can save myself, the scripture says, no, you can't. You will bury yourself under the law. Well, then what about this? You have been invited, but let me ask you the question, have you been adopted? You have been invited, but I don't know, have you been adopted? Well, I'm still trying to work my way into the family. That doesn't work. you simply have to respond turn from your sin and trust in Jesus you've been invited come to me all who are weary and heavy laden I will give you rest this is the love of God displayed in Christ Romans 5 8 but God knows but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners Christ what did he do for us? died for us died for you you've been invited have you been adopted? And lastly, the gift has been given. But have you received Christ? Have you received this gift? It cannot be received for you. And the moment you add anything that you have to do to a gift, it ceases to become a gift. Now, if someone gives you their one and only son so that you can be pardoned and forgiven and spend all eternity in heaven with God, serving, what's going to change about you? What isn't going to change about you? This is love. This is the amazing love of God. So John 1, 12 and 13 says, for to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man. Say the last three words with me. But of God. Have you received this gift? Have you been adopted? If not, today is the day. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone. Let's stand together. Father, as we have taken a closer look at the cross this morning, we are to examine your goodness and your grace and your mercy, and to examine our own lives before you. We need you. We love you, but that's because you first loved us. Father, I pray that if someone is here today and they are not part of your family, that today would be the day when they would turn from their sin and they would trust in you. That they would simply cry out to you, God, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I believe that you, Jesus, died in my place, that you were buried and you rose again, and I trust in you and that you would wash their sin whiter than snow and you would redeem them. Thank you that you save, that you rescue and you restore Father, help us to take our next step to walk in grace, to walk in this freedom. Whatever that step may be, let us take that step today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.